Welcome to Ag Annex Talks, a podcast brought to you by the agriculture brands of Annex Business Media. Join the teams behind Top Crop Manager, Potatoes in Canada, Fruit and Vegetable, Manure Manager, and Canadian Poultry Magazines for compelling conversations with some of the most important voices in Canadian agriculture. Hello, and welcome to the fourth and final episode in our Top 4 Under 40 series. These four episodes will feature conversations with the winners of Fruit and Vegetables' recent contest, which sought to recognize the industry's young trailblazers. My name is Alex Bernard, Associate Editor for Fruit and Vegetable Magazine, and your host for this series. Our fourth episode features Nicholas Plogue of Sunrise Potatoes in Alliston, Ontario. When asked why she nominated Nick, this is what nominator Eugenia Banks of the Ontario Potato Board had to say. Nick is a young farmer that has already made a huge contribution to the potato industry by developing innovative technologies that contribute to farm sustainability. He uses social media to share ideas and information with others in the potato industry, both in Ontario and in other provinces, to everyone's benefit. Let's kick it right off. How did you get involved with the fruit and veg industry in Canada? So I got involved basically through my wife before getting into growing potatoes. I was a machinist and I started dating my, my wife, Ruth Vanderzag. And during the recession, I think it was 08, I took some time off after I got my schooling all done and helped it on her farm. And uh, that's basically how it all kind of began. And it kind of just blossomed into sticking with it, basically. Yeah. I started helping the farm out in the springtime of, I think it was 08. Yeah, I helped with planting. They were shorthanded and her dad was going through some health issues. So we, it just worked out. The plan was just to hang around for harvest. And then some unexpected turn of events happened on our farm and basically led to the people Ruth's dad and Ruth were working with had some health issues. And we basically ended up taking over their business all within right after harvest till January. So I kind of just stuck around because I knew things were changing, which led us to having large amounts of growth quickly. So if you know any of the history of our farm, the Sunrise Potato Storage, we're not super established generation of the generation farm. Bruce's dad started the farm in the early 90s from scratch and uh, grew it. So we're essentially, it was only a first generation farm at that time. So taking on that large amount of growth, it took a lot in that sense. So that that's kind of why I stuck around, basically. The, I don't think the end goal was to stick around long term. The end goal was to help with the transition. And then I would go back to my, my regular role in life. But here I am. So <laughs> for it's good. I'm just that's that's how it kind of played out, actually. So well, that's a lot, yeah, to go from being like, I'm going to help with harvest to I am now a full-time potato farmer. Yeah, it, it was a bit of a change, but it, it all felt good. It felt right. So you, you roll with it. It's funny how life rolls that way. But yeah, I never grew up on a veggie farm or potato farm or anything like that, or even a farm. My grandparents, my father's side are Dutch immigrants, and they're close to my heart, and they're dairy farmers. And then on my mother's side, they're longtime Canadians and they have a cash cropping farm from nice, humble roots. Like they had jobs off the farm, but my parents growing up chose a life of not farming. So I never grew up on a farm, which I think is pretty neat. You get to see the whole sides of everything. So uh, never thought this would ever happen, but that's how it kind of rolled out. 
do you get to use any of the trade that you learned on the farm? Yeah, constantly. Like, like I said, we don't have big, deep pockets for huge capital expenses. So we do build a lot of things ourselves and fix things up. So all what I learned in my trades, not all the time and more and more I, that I do management, it kind of gets put off to the side, but yeah, essentially like you have a vision, you look at things differently and you can easily say, yeah, we can build that. Yeah. We can make that old piece of junk planter work. And it helps big time because it keeps your costs down. You know, it's uh, it's helped a lot in that aspect. I know that's one challenge that a lot of particularly rural farmers face is that they can't get folks out to fix the machinery or, or they can't get the machinery in somewhere to be fixed. So that must be a major help to have someone with your skills and qualifications on the farm. I don't see it as much because I guess I, I'm the one doing it, but yeah, it, I don't know any difference, so, but yeah, definitely for sure. Looking at other operations, it's definitely a blessing. Yeah. There's no question about it. Yeah. And especially nowadays, like things are rapidly changing to more mechanical computer program stuff. And that's what I did. I did CNC stuff and all that neat things. And that's all coming to our industry more and more now and computer programming. I was trained on that type of stuff. So you get an idea how that all kind of works. So your farm is in Alliston, Ontario. Is that kind of the area you grew up in or did you meet Ruth elsewhere? No. So yeah, I grew up in Alliston for the most part. So my story is grew up in rural central Ontario, I guess, and typical kid, I guess. And then parents split up and I lived with my dad in town and typical kid worked at the local Zellers and was kind of a little punk kid. And (laughs) I went to school with Ruth. We're the same age. We're actually really close. Like I have close ties to her entire family and we knew of each other, but we didn't get together until early twenties. Yeah. That's how that all kind of happened. She's a good farm girl type person. Like she's just, she's special. (laughs) That's lovely. And it's nice that you guys were, you have that friendship and that connection even beyond. It's beyond farming. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I, it's interesting. Like I I consider us a good team. Obviously we have our challenges, ups and downs and decisions we have to make. But if you look for the business side of things, like if you, you got to look past your own personal opinions and just do what's right for the business and do what's right for your family. And, you take your personal, not take your personal thoughts out of it. You need your thoughts and to go get into it, but your personal agenda, take that out and do what's for the greater purpose of your family, your farm, whatever you want to do. I think that's what a lot of our relationship has been built upon because we're essentially, we're two totally different people, to be honest with you, but we just work really well together. It's funny how that goes. Yeah. Balance each other's strengths. Yeah. That's, that's exactly it think what it is yeah so what is one of the major challenges you faced since starting on the farm learning how to actually be a farmer and grow a crop I think I think you really have to be open I don't know if it was the hard, hardest thing having to grow the crop but to learn what the crop is telling you to be 100% honest with you that's one thing I would say that farmers who have been around their whole lives you can't underestimate that power of what the crop is telling you. Any fruit and vegetable crop is any crop, any animal. It's very essential to watch what's going on and be ahead of what the crop's going to do, like knowing what the next point is in management. And that takes time. I don't think you can just know that that is 
truly something that you have to learn. I would say that's the biggest challenge. Like everything else is changing so fast management wise that it's not really a challenge to learn because there's something new and things just change so quickly that you don't actually have to learn anything, but you have to learn how to watch your crop, watch whatever it is, your, your, yeah, your crop at the end of the day and what it's telling you. So that those are big things. I would say don't underestimate your gut feeling of what's happening with your crop at all costs. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Because I imagine with Ruth, it's like if she's been involved with farming for that long with her family, she knows what to watch for. And what's one thing you know to look for now that you would have not known to begin with? How important the value of petiole samples are. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, honestly, things like that. Even for Ruth, like our, our industry, our standards have changed so much in 15 years. Like a simple thing, like what we used to do is cut and plant our seed right off the bat. And now we've evolved into, and what we started doing eight or nine years ago is pre-cut or cut, store, let it suberize, and then plant it. And it's funny, when I first got into this, that was shamed upon. That was so bad. And the standard was do not do that because you'll have issues. But now it is the standard. It's almost a must to perform a good crop now. So that's what I mean. It's changing so much. So even for Ruth, like, those type of things, like all those management things are all changing so much. But at the end of the day, even from your seed. So when we get our seed in from somewhere else, you have to f- watch that bin of seed and how see how it's acting and how quick it's sprouting and how it looks and just have a feel how to manage that lot of seed. Deep down, it's really just paying attention to what your crop is doing right from the beginning of seed cutting, you know, and that we both, Ruth would drive the, the sprayer and that was our management like that. That's how we knew getting into our fields every week and watching that crop progress and seeing, watching how it's working and knowing what's going to happen next with the weather coming up and that type of stuff. We really value us being in there and just watching our crop and how every variety, every field, every weather condition plays factors on it. Those are huge things, I would say. I'd say learning how to grow the crop is one thing. I think there's enough people in the industry that can get you the basics to get you through it. And that's essentially what's happened to me. And I was fortunate enough to spend the time and effort to, to learn the crop. But there's enough people around you that can get you to that point. But you need to take it to the next point And just, you got to watch your crop. I, I don't know how, how much I need to really push on that, I would say. Like, you can be someone who doesn't know anything about fertilizer. Like, I didn't know anything about fertilizers starting in this. And now here we are hammering on micronutrients and all those type of things. You just learn that as you go, I would say, because you know the just of what you need to do. But watching how your crops react to these things are just is the key. You can't take that away. Mm -hmm. This might play into this next question. What's an accomplishment or innovation you're particularly proud of? I would say just what we've done is pretty special. From the first couple of years, even what Riz's dad and mom did coming here, basically as missionaries and doing overseas work to come here and start a farm from nothing and there was no help to build what they built in the first 15 to 20 years is very spectacular like what we've all done together taking to the next level basically doubling in size and taking on all that extra it's a blessing the extra blessing but being able to do that as young farmers and as not a lot of money to do that is uh, I just I can't underappreciate how special that was 
yeah, everything just worked really well in that sense. Very proud of what we've accomplished in the, that time frame. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned that it was a pretty rapid period of growth, which, like you say, is a blessing, but it's also a lot to to deal with and to like kind of yeah, it was it was new to all of us because it, it throws in a different curveball because the farm before taking on this this growth was to a point where it was comfortable we made things work with what we had but we're now we're getting to the point where we have to we have to throw in efficiencies and throw a cost on how you got to be efficient and you got to be quicker at certain things and do it cheaply as cheap as possible like one thing we did is uh, when we threw in the second planter on our operation, I bought a piece of junk rickety thing that no one wanted and we threw a couple grand into it. And now I have two good, great planters going, you know, just things like that, like doing things cost effectively and really break down what the value of each decision you make is were big things. Like it's one thing to double up in size, but not to have the cash to do it is it's tricky to do that. And we're blessed. When we did take on those acres, those first couple of years, we had some spectacular yields and it was very special that we were able to grow into that, but it, it couldn't go either way. You know, you got to watch your costs when it comes to that type of stuff. Yeah. So those type of things like building equipment, like a, a seed filler to fill those planters, just so you can keep those planters rolling quickly. All those type of things. Like we built one, you can buy one. It was $150,000, let's say, and we built one for $30,000. Things like that go a long way if you're willing to, to do the work towards it. And it wasn't essentially that I did all the work and it was me. Like We hired welders and people like that to, to do the work, but there's still a huge savings doing that type of stuff. Really breaking down like what your costs are and really think about every decision. Part of efficiencies is knowing what someone else can do better and faster for you. So like hiring welders, yeah, hiring someone who knows how to do it and can do it probably cheaper than you can figure it yeah. out yourself. That's, yeah. that's just smart business. Well, that's it. like right now we're, we're struggling. We're to, the, we're to the workload in our shop to have a second person in our shop. And we're struggling finding that second person to fit with our team and have the, the education so we, we, we've actually lately been spending a lot of money on custom guys to come in like welders or even diesel mechanics. And they, we line up a bunch of work for them and they do their job and off they go. You know, you can argue that that's, it's more money, but also they are trained. You don't have to look for filling work for them. They're super efficient is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So the, like, that's one thing now that we're kind of struggling with. Like, oh, we, maybe we need in the second guy in the shop. But there's also lots of tools around that, like these type of guys, that, that, that they fit. You know, you spend more money, but they're super efficient and they're super good at what they're trained. Like they're, they're licensed. And then when the job's done, they can go on their way for when the slow times come. So you got to utilize, utilize tools like that. Things like that. You can look at that on different levels of if you fall behind on your spraying or if you fall behind on any type of custom work, to hire it out. These are trained people. They're there it's a cost, but it's, they're going to do a good job, you know, versus hiring someone that you have to train and invest into. I'm not saying it's, not, it's bad hiring people, but really break down what those people are doing for you. Yeah. When it's not niche tasks, but it's specific. Little it's specific yeah. And, and everyone, we're, we live in an era now that everyone is very specialized. We're seeing that more and more. And then have a person who's a very broad spectrum of things 
it's very challenging and it's, I don't think it's going to get any easier. So to have these people that, you know, a diesel mechanic come in and do diesel work and then a welding guy come and do welding work. Well, that's their specialty. You know, it's, it's worth it in their own to have them in. But if there's a jack of all trades out there. <laughs> well, that's just it. It, it. Yeah. There's, there's jack of all trades. It's a different story, but they're becoming hard to find, you know, and even for operators, the same thing. One operator that may be really good at driving the planter is terrible at doing tillage or, or spraying or something like that. You know, people's minds are very specific to certain things. And that's kind of relates to the next question. How do you think the industry will change in the next five years? But I think specialization and availability of labor is one of those major things. Yeah, exactly. Like we grow just potatoes and we do some cash cropping on the side, but the cash cropping is hard, hardly worth it. And the, we, we struggle doing it, but, but let the cash croppers do the cash cropping. That that's what they specialize in. Same with like we specialize in growing potatoes for the chipping industry. I've tried growing table stock potatoes and I just can't figure it out. That's someone else's niche. They haven't figured out. Numbers are so tight now that those couple cents of error of your screw up, that's your profit and it's just not worth it anymore. That could be wrong that you become so specialized that something happens in the industry, but the numbers are so tight. I don't know how it's, it's very hard to branch out into other sectors in that sense. What else is changing in my industry in the five years? I would say like it's evolving into small bags. So everyone has their individual bag of chips. So one big thing that's happening is they're actually asking for smaller potatoes for these smaller chip bags. And before they, it wasn't that crucial. We would have bigger potatoes and a bigger chip bag and it wouldn't matter so much. But now they're specifically asking for smaller potatoes. So that's one management thing that we're going to have to figure out in the next little while, how to get these plants to produce more potatoes per plant and be able to manage that. So our industry in that sense is changing. That's one of the heaviest things that's changing. Our industry quality is huge. When I first started on the farm, we could send product to the factory unwashed, ungraded, just put them in a truck and off they go. And that's evolved into a multi-million dollar wash line that we've installed just for our customers to have a better quality product. That's one change that's happened in the last couple of years. The, the factories for our R&R and don't want to deal with the garbage. And I don't blame them. They're in the middle of the city center. How do they deal with it? You know, it's more water on their end. It's more trash on their end. It's more labor on their end to grade the potatoes. That's one big factor that's changed for us over the couple, last couple of years. And we've had to figure it out. You know, we don't get paid any more for it, but that's what our industry is asking for. And that's what we'll have to, that's what we have to give to our customers to keep them, you know, it's just the evolution of the business. Like, and now looking back at it, there's not many people that have like a wash line like this. It's, it's becoming the new standard and the people who haven't done it aren't the go-to growers, you know, it's all economics and it's on their end. We have to fill trailers quicker with a better quality product because their costs are going up as well. It's evolution. Like before it would take us the in-between of not uh, grading the potatoes. We had the small washer and we'd fill trucks that way. It would take two and a half hours versus now it takes 30 minutes to 40 minutes. That being said, like, sure, it's better. It's nicer for them, but they're also paying employees. Their timelines are getting quicker because these trucking companies now with e-logs and their delivery dates or times, their tolerances are tighter as well. So it, it's pressure just being pushed on all of us to do a better job with the same amount of money. And I, th- I think everyone on every level in the world is going through that right now, even on the household standpoint. That's just the evolution of the business. And I, I don't see it changing in ag. 
I think any fruit and vegetable grow would have the same type of problems now, I would say. It seems like it's almost getting pushed to the point where it's not tenable anymore. It's hard. Yeah, you're definitely, it's, it's tricky because these big projects, like they're, they're cutting into what your year end and your profits and all that stuff because there's no money for that type of stuff. So it is tricky, but you have to f- figure it out to keep going, you know. Even let's say with our wash water, we have a wash water system and we've had to build a pretty state-of-the-art wash water pond to deal with our, our byproduct, our washing water. Mm-hmm. And now there's standards in place that we have to follow to do it, you know, and that all is big costs. And sure, they give you grace periods to do it. But at the end of the day, these are massive costs that money is just not sitting around for, you know, but these are our new challenges. And the, to, I don't have the glass ball to figure that out, but it's a tricky one. But the costs are a lot tighter. Our quality standards are a lot higher, I would say, across all the fruit and vegetable board. New varieties to deal with the so-called our weather shifts. I, it's uh, These are all new fun factors. Nothing negative upon it. It's just these are new challenges that we have to deal with, I would say. Yeah, yeah. It's more being added to the plate. Yeah, more being added to the plate. Like I would say, like I said, those first couple of years that we grew potatoes, uh, they were good years. There were perfect weather patterns, but I'd say the last seven years for us have been so inconsistent and and challenging. Like we added this second planter because our planting window just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's funny, the first year I added the second planter, we had the same amount of acres as the year before, but it took just as long because we had so many weather shutdowns. And I think a lot of people are seeing that too, that we have more tied up in our equipment to get the same amount of job done as we did 15 years ago I don't know why it's just maybe a a fad with the weather like a a trend I don't know but we are seeing these things maybe it's because standards are changing and we have to be tighter with that type of stuff I'm not sure but that's just what I've seen it just keeps changing yeah there's there's gonna be a lot of changes I would say across the board in the next five years yeah there's massive changes with food costs going up too many metal men in the game from farm product to grocery stores. There's a lot of people taking a cut out of it. That cut's not necessarily making it to the farm. We still have to produce the product for as cheap as we basically can, you know, and do a good job doing it. And I, I don't see our prices on the farm level changing much, to be honest with you. So we just have to somehow pull up our socks and figure it out. I don't know. And on to the next question, what advice would you give to someone considering joining the Canadian fruit and veg industry, given all of these challenges? It's great. It's great challenges. Like, what, what would be life without challenges? It's true. I, I don't know. It's a constant evolution. It's constantly changing. It's one thing of the being in an industry that's the same thing all the time. Like, that's boring. <laughs> like, this is, it is constantly changing. There's constantly new, exciting things you got to figure out. It's great. Like you got to be willing to do it. And I'm positive anyone can do it. Like the nice thing is with the fruit and veggie industry, you can have a farm like ours that's very big and you complex with lots of employees and all that type of fun stuff. But you also could be a roadside veggie farmer, you know, like you can get your foot in the door. I feel like the veggie industry has so many different levels to it that you can get into it. You could get into it, let's say if yeah, a veggie grower that only needs an acre of land and has a roadside stand, you know, that's not huge amounts of capital versus how much return you'll get out of it. It's pretty neat that they have those availabilities, you know, and you can grow upon that. The veggie industry is pretty cool in that sense. Like I look at any other ag industry, it, it takes a lot of capital to get into, 
but the veggie and fruit industry, I, I think you can do a lot with very little, but there's going to be challenges and you just have to be willing to figure it out. Not even as a farmer, but as like a salesperson or a fertilizer person, like there's been so many changes in our industry. That's pretty cool. Like the evolution of some of these products and these fertilizers and things that we're doing is just, uh, it's really neat. Like if you're really into it, like it's a constant change. It's, it's nice. There's tons of awesome people in the industry on every level practices alone, how we do things and how we have to market them. It's just cool. Look at this thing with social media. Like think of a roadside stand didn't have a chance. They just had a local market and now social media, a roadside stand can reach basically all of Canada with their product. It's pretty special times and it really evens out the playing field for a single person operator. There's a lot of positivity for someone coming into this, I would say. And there's opportunities, like you say. There's opportunities. And you mentioned social media. I know that you have a very lively presence on social media. When you have questions or challenges, do you take them to social media? I do. I'll get a lot of BS out of it, (laughs) but also you wean through it and you will find something to help guide you through your path of your question. That's one of the main things I started social media was to see what everyone else is doing, what everyone else's thoughts are, because we've built our management on multiple people on our team. And we really value asking questions to every level on, on our farm. And I love social media in that aspect, uh, throwing out a question, just seeing what everyone's thoughts are on that. Yeah, social media, there's a lot of good there, but there's also a lot of bad. You can see the bad and it can really, you can argue it's a waste of time, but there's a lot of friendships that are there. There's a lot of things that I've learned on that and sharing a lot of stuff that I've learned. A couple of young potato farmers have asked me questions and I tell them my thoughts and views on it saying mine are right, but I just really like that that's there for them because there's not a lot of us and they're willing to do it and they're willing to ask the question. I'm going to give my views on it. Social media, like I said before, it has opened up a lot of avenues for the smaller brands to be on the same level, which is really cool. I can't tell my story of our farm to the world without social media. And I think going forward, us farmers, in the grand scheme of things, we're not great at telling our story and the reason we do what we do. And there's a reason why we do it. There's a reason why we use chemicals and pesticides at this point. And we need to explain that to these people because the divide from customer to farm is, it's huge. Like I tell people sometimes like, you know, we're working with people that are fifth generation removed from being on a farm. It's not their fault. They don't get it. It doesn't click to them. And it's, it's not fair to blame them because they're doing what they, they believe is right. And that you can't blame them for them. We're doing what we believe is right. So if we can somehow show that out there, that's all we're trying to do is be profitable, not even be profitable, keep our doors open and get a product to the grocery stores. You know, I think that that goes a long way. And that's why that's what social media was to me. It's turned, it's evolved into a lot of friendships. It's pretty neat to see all that stuff. It's, it's opened up a lot of different ways of trying things, different products to try. It's a, it's interesting, but it's a, it's a rabbit hole. And there's a lot of views and opinions that can be brought up there. But, you know, if everyone's open of healthy discussion, it's a pretty inviting place. It's like it's a worldwide coffee shop. And you can say that that's maybe a waste of time. But you're talking with people in Australia on their management practices. And if you can grab something from that, anything, it's maybe worth it. You know, like I look at how much time we spend going to uh, these ag meetings, not to knock ag meetings, but with local people 
let's look outside our local box and look at what we're doing on the world stage, you know? Yeah. It can be an isolating job. and It, it is an isolating, and we forget that. Like, it's very isolating. I don't know what the percentages of farmers are anymore, but it's very isolating. And if you're a common person who's not in ag, when would you ever think about ag? Half the people now don't even cook their own meals. Like, they don't even have the chance to know where their food comes from or tell them the story or how it's produced other than Googling it and researching whatever they really feel like finding because that's basically what you can find on the internet. And so if you can put on the internet the farm story or or the reason why we do what we do, it goes really far. Just being able to tell your story and it just goes so far. Thanks for tuning in to Ag Annex Talks, the podcast hosted by the agriculture brands of Annex Business Media. You can subscribe to Ag Annex Talks wherever you listen to podcasts or visit eggannex.com to catch up on all of our other episodes.